Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hi, I'm here with Jude Vinton, and welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, and you're in the UK. I'm not familiar with your area, so it looks like you're on the outskirts of London or a suburb of London. Is that correct? That's right, yes. We're north of London. I'm in a um, county called Hertfordshire, which is quite leafy and green, but very high population for England. Right. And you're right in the middle of that, and you have a forest school there, and you're doing a lot of work with children in that area. So tell me a little bit about your work and how you got started doing that. So we're a forest school, but we're very much nomadic. So we're a traveling forest school. We don't have a, a single base. And which is really fun because we get to know lots of areas of great little natural pockets. So we work mainly with schools, go to the school site. So that might be a school field, which is lined by trees. And then we've got some school sites with little little woods and little copses. So we just kind of work with what we've got because forest school is based on the principle that it's it needs to happen in a natural environment and natural space. And for some of the children that we work with, the only version of a natural space is a little bit of green, just right. where they have access to, where they can walk to a local park, a, a space between flats or or in a built up area. So I don't believe in taking children on a bus out into an environment that they'll never have access to. Yes, um, exactly. Because this is their version of nature and it's just as good as a rich and, and varied woodland. And then we also work with a, a secondary school with young people. And this is in a forest, but it's on the border of their school with young people who have either been permanently excluded or they have kind of excluded themselves from school through refutes. There's called school refusers. So children that just find school, mainstream school, too much. They right. are with autism they have experienced significant trauma in their lives they've got high social anxiety so we we are also leading programs that are very therapeutic in value and that is the 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 sole focus is therapy whilst we're not trained therapists we are facilitating resilience building and emotional regulation and talking about uh, their emotions building emotional literacy so we're not trained therapists and that's something to, you know, I really respect the, the difference between us and uh, educational psychologists, for example. However, I think there's an excellent opportunity for therapy in the forest in a, you know, in the way that we're delivering in forest school. Right. Well, and, and just because it's not therapy doesn't mean that it's not therapeutic, therapeutic. right? So it's like, it's actually done with a purpose. They're not just mm -hmm. sort of wandering like a pack, like a pack of wild animals in the forest, they're actually, you know, in a program where they're able to find people who can relate to them and and connect with them and, you know, just be there with them. I mean, most of us didn't have therapists 600 years ago or 500 years ago or 300 years ago even. So uh, we just had to figure it out with people around us who care about us. So we're continuing on a, a well-worn tradition. Yeah. Ricardo, I think you've, I think that's really key there is that the people that are facilitating these programs are very nurturing, very patient. We're emotionally resilient ourselves. Right. We show forgiveness and kindness. And that is therapy, isn't it? That, yeah. that therapeutic to be with people who really, really care. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I went to a uh, Waldorf school in 
upstate New York here, you know, I was pretty young. I think it was from fourth grade to eighth grade. And before that, I was in another school in California that was Waldorf also. And I remember as I was in that school that I definitely can tell that I exhibited many behaviors that I've seen children exhibit in the programs I've run. And I just remember that no matter how crazy I got, I, I, I always knew that the people, the teachers that were there working with me cared about me and were trying their best, even though I did everything I could to help them lose their temper at times. I just know that they really cared. And that that caring is the thing that really made being at that school really special and helped helped me to kind of grow, even though, you know, I kind of was growing through that. So um, I'm sure that that is those things really do shine through and help support the children because they're growing even as they're having trauma or anxiety or whatever their brains are still growing and changing at the same time so by being present with them that's that's really powerful yeah that's what we're finding yeah so our, our work is really different in that sense because so for example today i was working with one single child mm-hmm. a 13 year old and then yesterday i worked with 57 children in t- two separate groups so it's it's very varied yes. at the moment we we do we work with whole groups of 30 children in in from their class i know i've spoken to you about this before how how important it is for us as a company to include everybody in a class and not to exclude schools from from having um forest school provision because very often forest school is only delivered to 15 to 16 children or right. 15 or less Um, which would mean that a lot of schools just wouldn't be able to afford to have a forest school provision. I've come from a teaching background, so I'm really comfortable with having 30 children. But I really see the benefit of having not just the children out with me, immersing themselves in nature and learning from nature and understanding seasons and cycles and becoming independent, but also the adults coming out with them because very often our adults in education need the same yes lessons and love and patience yeah as the children so we're all learning together as a community and that's been one of the most unexpected benefits of of doing what I'm doing for a school with a whole group of children yeah yeah that's true I have run after school programs for children here uh, in our area and oftentimes there's there are teachers in the school who are working in that after school program and many of them they've had a long day they've been teaching they're they're frustrated or going through things and invariably if there's if they're a little bit stressed out I just say hey come on over and like do this nature craft with us. And the next thing you know, they're they're working away, sanding a piece of wood or doing something. And they're like, this is so relaxing. I feel so much better. And, and it's just really nice to see them participate without having to just sort of supervise or make sure everyone's paying attention or being respectful. And everyone just sort of relaxes when they see that that teacher is being able to relax. So I, it it's a really... I, I really believe 100% that that is a really good part of your program to uh, maintain that factor there or that detail. And when that teacher is sitting down sanding a piece of wood, the children are getting to see their adult, who's usually in a position of power and a lot of responsibility, just right. be a person yeah, and just relax and be themselves. Mm-hmm. The teacher in turn gets to see the children again, being in a completely different position of 
independence and autonomy and you know not not being so reliant on them that's that's got therapeutic value hasn't it absolutely tell me a little bit about what kind of led to you jumping in and starting your own program so i i went into teaching after working with young offenders for several years because i really felt that the missing part of the puzzle for lots of young people who had offended was a, a good education and options and information so i went started working with children with special needs as an assistant and then became a teacher and i understood that teaching was about connection it was about connection and community and nurture and if the young people in my care trusted me. I'd be able to teach them anything, anything. The sure. sky's the limit. And then I started teaching and I realised that actually job, it was very restrictive. There was so much to do in, 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 in the school day. So much to get through, content and facts and checking and assessment that actually the, the connection part and the nurture part of the community that drew me to teaching wasn't wasn't there for me then I was working with young people who I was a primary school teacher so children aged four to eleven and I was working with little boys and girls who really really needed a responsive teacher mm -hmm. who understood that sometimes they needed to go slow sometimes they needed to be playful sometimes we needed to throw the lesson out the window that day and just be it be about them and their well-being and it wasn't just wasn't an option the school leaders were very strict on the content that needed to be covered and assessment and anyway so yeah. um what I I had children I had babies two babies two years apart whilst I was teaching so I took some time off when I had my children and one of the things that I started doing with my babies was going to uh, forest school you know toddler forest school and I just thought oh, this is this, this is, is it, it. yeah that's learning great. yeah and nurture and celebrating discovery and this is the kind of learning that I want to be behind um I could do this so I went back to the school that I was working with and I said I want to be a forest school leader and I think we should do it at our school and um they said no no right two out there it's not for us it's a bit too fluffy. Right. <laughs> <Did I? laughs> yeah. All right, then. So I decided to hand in my notice and just take a leap of faith and go for it. And within two weeks, I had my first contract signed with another school, very locally to, to that school, right. who believed that their children needed that kind of nurture and alternative experiences from sitting behind desks and that was my first experience of forest school in a school as a an ex-teacher and and I had to set, set my own limited company to to be able to work in this school so I kind of just did it just to facilitate that sure that route and now we're four and four and a half years in wow. and I think we've worked with eight schools a nursery we've now got about 12 people working for us as a small company other educators and then just other people who are really committed to young people and nature it's just so exciting yeah. to be able to enrich children's lives in just the way I'd hoped to without the restrictions of curriculum basically right and so right wow that's great I mean that's great that you, you were able to have that transition so it's so hard though isn't it to break away from the yeah the, 
the safety net of a job you know right now I I, I don't have a pension I have no paid sick leave um it, you know that's a that was a consideration when I, I left my safe job yeah but what's point in having a pension when actually you're miserable in your yeah. everyday life yeah I want to live now not when I'm drawing a pension and I'm 65 yeah that's true you know here in in the United States we don't have health care we have, there's a lot of things we don't have uh and everyone's sort of just figuring it out when I was younger, it felt really not good to be in like fluorescent lights and uh, cement block, cinder block buildings. And, you know, to kind of be in that structure was just much too restrictive for me. And I didn't, I didn't your, do it. Your educational background is so far from the mainstream. Yes, that's and true. Good experience for you. It's it's nice to be able to let them grow up and be kids and climb things and explore and make things and just interact with our environment and with other other children. It's a it's nice to have those options. I think as a parent and as a as a well, child, without making things and time to explore, our children mm-hmm. and lack creativity. So I I taught in China for a year and I taught 13, 14 year olds English. Chinese school, proper China, proper rural China. They've never seen a white person ever. Wow. The, the, there were 45 children in a classroom and they were the most impeccably behaved children. They they just they just sat there and, and drank everything that I said. And at first I thought, God, this is amazing. Right. These children are amazing. Um, and I was teaching them the way that I was taught. So, you know, with all exercises of of having conversations and pretending to be on the phone to a friend and things. And these children just, they they were silent when I set these tasks initially because they just had no creativity, no experience of going off the wall and and being experiential because they learn by rote. So they learn by a teacher saying, this is how you say the sentence, say it after me, and then repeating. Right, right. That's a really extreme example of without the creativity and independence, actually, th- there wasn't much spark from these children um, yeah. in, in their classroom. Actually, once we got to know them, they were very sparky. In a classroom, they were kind of dull and black and white and afraid of making mistakes because it was all so structured. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I know that a lot of parents will say that their children, when they go to school, like at a public school, they'll say, oh, my child is like the light is going from their eyes. They're not happy in school. Um, Sometimes it's a social thing between other children. Sometimes it's a a teacher. Sometimes it's just the overall system. Yeah. It's a lot of different things. But I know as a parent, they would they will sometimes call call me because I ran a summer camp and they were like, I like talking to you. So they would just call and tell me like, hey, my my son or my daughter, they're just that light is going. They're not, they seem dull. They seem a little bit depressed. I can feel that something's changing for them. And, and then that spurs them to take action and to do whatever they have to do to bring that child back, you know, bring that part of them back. Not everyone notices that. Maybe a lot of a lot of parents will say, "Hey, that's how I learned." So you figure it out. Ricardo, tell me this: Have you ever had a young person that looks like the light and the spark is being drained from them the more and more they spend 
the more and more time they spend in nature. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, not never, one. not at all. Not at all. No. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's I've, I've seen children be a lot of, uh, be very nervous and stick right next to me and be trepidatious, you might say, or just being very, very careful. And then, you know, realize after even just a few days that, oh, I can be a little bit more free. I can actually run. I can jump. I can do my thing. I can climb something. And it's just like, it comes right back for them. They're just like, oh my gosh, I, I'm accomplishing things. I'm, I'm letting go of the things I'm afraid of. And then the parents will say, what did you do to my kid? Like my kid is just, he's back or she's back. What's been hard for me as a summer camp leader for years is that oftentimes I get the children, they show up and then they're here for a week or two weeks. And, and after that, they get in a car and they go home and you don't ever see what the impact is. Uh, and then, you know, years later, the child might come back or the, who's now a young man or a woman. And they'll say, Ricardo, it was so incredible what, you know, what, what happened and how you inspired me. And I'm just kind of like, it's just amazing because you don't get the the transition. You don't really get to kind of stay unless they come back year after year. And sometimes they do. Many times they do. But I can imagine it's a very different experience than being in a forest school and sort of seeing them for five, you know, three years or, or six months or whatever. You just get a different relationship. So so we've got Good. one one group of uh, one school that we've now been working with for three years, and they have programs of six weeks. So we have them two hours programs for once a week for six weeks in a row, and yeah. then we see them again until the next season. So we see them twelve weeks in total mm-hmm. out of, and then the next year we get another twelve weeks with them out of a year. Um, so one school we've been working with for three years now and those children they are really a success story of this little bit of urban forest school that we're bringing to mainstream schools with 30 children yeah. you know actually it's not always easy 30 little people are a lot to manage 30 people's needs and wants and desires and plans right. it's a lot to manage but those children I'm seeing are, are really inspiring me because they are brilliantly self-directed they can build on their previous knowledge they're respecting their space their their the trees and the plants around them they understand the value of plants that we can use they're patient you know i think our culture is so based around having things immediately and not having to wait not understanding yes. that you know the processes that that things have to go through everything's rushed and pushed but nature won't be rushed or pushed that's right so so you started this school, this program, and now you had to get uh, trained in forest school. There's a there's obviously these like training experiences. What was that training like for you? So it was quite intense. It's usually a 12 month program and it's a level three forest school leader qualification. And it's quite well respected in the UK and the kind of accepted boundaries i suppose about forest school is that you you can't you cannot call it forest school unless a qualified level three leading it so it took initially was a five-day program of learning and then we go away and we have to build a portfolio answer questions go in depth into woodland management and the theories of child development and behavior and theory and things we do a a program which is a pilot program and during that program we do a lot of reflection on our practice and and how young people 
or older people, whoever our participants were, how they were responding to different activities that we'd planned um, and how actually how different it was going to how we'd planned it. So that was one that was really interesting, actually, in the training is that we had to plan six weeks knowing that it wouldn't happen. (laughs) But that six weeks not adhere to your plan. And if it did, something was going wrong because it should be developing and, and changing as you're getting to know your client group. And we also had to observe, I think, six participants closely and work out what they needed, what what needs they're exhibiting, and then try and tailor our program to, to try and help them become more resilient or develop better social skills or team building exercises. And then at the end of that, we had a five-day assessment program where we'd all come back together and we'd be assessed in building fires, a shelter for a group, woodland management and things like that. So I absolutely stuck at it, worked really, really hard and got it done in six months and not 12. Um, And I actually regret that a little bit because you never get to do it again. You never get to train again. And I wish I'd just just taken my time. If I any advice to any forest school leaders or outdoor educators I would say just take your time and know that changes don't you know don't happen overnight you can't be finished products in a in a season trust in gradual change and development it's okay not not to be ready in six months you know I, I just wanted to get in there and and get going and be sure. the finished but yeah no, I didn't need to and I'm still learning it's what I love about my job I learn daily and that excites me yeah yeah that's great like it's it's really I'm really glad to hear about all of the trainings for forest schools you know that that it's like such an integral part of it because a lot of like how I came to do a lot of outdoor wilderness programs was that I just learned from people who taught bushcraft or wilderness uh, wilderness skills and nature you know tracking and different different kind of components of of nature education or naturalist training but there was really you know most of the people that I know who have learned that way as well. They just started teaching the way they learned. They really didn't learn anything about, say, different theories of childhood development or looking at, like you said, woodlot management or, you know, any of the background stuff. It was just kind of like, okay, go out there, do the best you can do. And then if you get stuck with a bunch of kids, like not stuck, but if you choose to, you know, maybe get involved in teaching children, then it's easy to then say, oh, okay, yeah, now I'm going to have to adapt what I'm doing because it's not working. That Um, sounds like hard work. Yeah, it's really, it was really difficult. And I, I know in my career, I've seen a lot of people really struggle with that because they kind of got into it for a certain reason. And then all of a sudden they're with a bunch of children and it's, it's really, you really have to want to work with children to be out there. Some, you know, I've had staff who really would rather be tanning hides or making arrows or doing the stuff because they loved it so much. And then the children part of it was sort of a little bit of a, not not necessarily an afterthought, but it was not why they were there as much. And so that 
it became something that I always tried to coax them into saying like, yeah, this is why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay. But with Forest School, I think it's really important, especially if you're going to be working with them for six months or, you know, for 12 weeks out of the year, it's good to have that continuity, I would imagine, and to have that training and to know that, okay, I really took my time and covered a lot of that. So I'm familiar. And I'm also then entering into that world where as an educator, you have a feeling of a background, you know, that you're not just somebody that like took a workshop in wild edibles and now you're teaching hundreds of kids. That is a reassuring thing about forest school, anything that's called, you know, a forest school leader that's a trained forest school leader. Whilst there are different training providers and they have different styles, it is quite a rigorous uh, qualification and a high standard. And, you know, some people don't qualify, don't finish. And I think actually that's important that sure. some people decide that it's not for them. It's not an easy qualification. And I don't think it it should be actually because forest school is grounded in the development of the individuals who we are leading. Yes. Um, it's not skills-based. So it's not bushcraft. It's not about teaching skills. It's about developing holistically people and through skills and learning about nature and being in nature that that you know nature facilitates their development and we are just we're observers and we're steerers but we're we're not teachers in it in that sense yeah and and across the board forest school qualification you know people agree with that we're facilitators and steerers not teachers teaching skills right Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, to me, I always have thought about like my programs as being what I call like human development programs hidden in a nature program. So, you know, we're kind of like, we are, we're, we're looking at creating uh, transformative experiences, but so the children think they're coming to a wilderness survival camp for a week or two weeks, but we're really actually wanting to open them up and help them have experiences that, you know, enhance who they are. And so that it changes the focus just enough that it leads to really dynamic outcomes. Yeah, I'm just curious, do you feel like that there are specific things that you are dealing with or something that might be challenging that you're sort of exploring ways on how to, you know, how to reach certain children or are there, are there you know, is there anything that you can think of that is challenging about the work you're doing? Funding. Mm-hmm. Initially, yeah. we often come come across schools who would love to have a forest school program in, enrich their children's curriculum and education and well being, and they just can't figure out how to find the money for it. I think right. right now, schools are facing in huge deficits. Most schools are. Schools have faced such financial hardship; they've had to increase people's wages, and that's needed to come from budgets right. that are finished um so yeah so the forest school is sometimes an added extra that schools can't find money for it's sometimes about helping school leaders being creative about their existing budgets and finding that there are loopholes in where they can use funding right. so that they they can use it for forest school so we get something called a, a sports premium yeah funding and so it has to be spent on sports and if you look through the 
text about how it must be spent. It does include team building, building resilience, outdoor outdoor education and, and physical activity. So I've helped schools by writing and drawing in research how forest schools, you know, trackers on children to see how active they were during a forest school session. And they found actually the children that were less likely to be active in a PE lesson were more active in a forest school session because they were just actively engaged in in just moving around and exploring and climbing and doing yeah, absolutely uh, without really needing to to be directed to do that so uh, and yeah we've successfully been able to use that budget in some schools to that's do great some, yeah yeah, you have to really be creative when you, I, I found that to be true as well with a lot of the times where I work with another school or program that you just have to kind of like help them understand the magnitude of what you're doing and mm. to see, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, the school will have, you know, a budget for uh, social, a social studies, you know, kind of a historical program. Sometimes it's an earth science type program that can apply, or sometimes it's funding for, like you said, a, an activity that uh, gets them outside. Yeah. I mean, now, now maybe mental health too, as well, mental health, well-being and so, and so oh, forth. Ricardo, yeah. I wish it's for mental health and well-being in British schools. That That's currently not the case, but who knows? Who, I right. mean, <sighs> How bad does it need to get before there are a budget assigned to children's mental health and well-being? Right. Uh, I shudder to think, but we, the Forest School Association, which is not a governing body, but a, I, I guess, like collective organisation, pushing for a new funding to be uh, given from the government to every school in uh, every child in school in the UK, um, called the Nature Premium. Um, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're really pushing for the right for every child to have access to nature it, and it doesn't need to be through forest school we understand that some for some children and for some schools that just might not be the the, the best application for them for for this kind of funding but outdoors mm -hmm. um, regular is is what they're pushing for outdoors and regular and connection with nature imagine uh country where every single child had a little bit of money allocated that was that was designed to improve their experience and connection with nature i mean that would be great i it, think we, yeah. we would provide children with a way of buffering their mental health decline yeah yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And I, I know this, there's this one phrase that kind of goes through my head pretty much at least every couple of days. And it, I basically just keep imagining myself saying this in an expressive way to just say, I really don't see that there is a, any future, any variation of the future in which having a close connection to the natural world is not going to be incredibly beneficial. Uh, I know it's a weird way to kind of get to it, but it's like, it's just like essential that there is going to be a very big difference between those children who do get that buffer, that buffering or enhancement or all the benefits that the natural world provides, and then those that don't. And so the nature premium is a way for people to say, well, we already know, we already know that we have all the data, that we have research, we have all this research coming in about how, the value of it. So the question now is, do we have the, the will to make that happen and say, this is important for our children? And that's really going to be the big, one of the big questions in the next, you know, 10 years or 20 years, yeah. because it's much easier to 
help someone get the things they need to thrive, it's much cheaper to do that than it is to wait until they're depressed and suicidal and they're in 10th or 11th grade. And they're now you're having to do therapies or do residential programs or whatever it is to help them support them. It's, it's just so much better to not to just avoid the problem to begin with and just give them what they need if we can. So, so yeah, I'm 100% behind that. I think allowing people to understand that a coping strategy that might really work for them is out there it's free mm-hmm. it's accessible. it's theirs it's got physical benefits as well as mental mm-hmm. and, that, and it doesn't cost them or the you know for us the health the health the healthcare system a penny it doesn't cost a penny it just feels a bit criminal actually that we're not we're not spreading that message as a as a country yeah. um down to us outdoor educators to like hold the flag hold the flag and keep on shouting come on come on we can can heal ourselves in nature that's right that's right and i think historically you know we we all grew up in a relationship with nature you know prior to civilization or our culture we just all were outside all the time just like just like the deer and the foxes and the hedgehogs every they, we, we were just out there doing our thing, gathering. And then in the last few thousands of years, we now have this culture. And all of a sudden now we went from being outside most of the time to starting to spend more time in so indoors and disconnected. And so this is this is really one a new thing for humanity, for human human beings to actually not have a natural connection to the outdoors. Like it's an experiment that is not going well. No. It's going very badly, this experiment mm. of saying, hey, what if we put people inside a building, connect disconnected, and spend all the time on digital worlds and curated social media and whatever else and digesting content? And let's see what happens. And we're seeing what's happening. And yet, for some reason, we're also still very slow to respond in a way that, um, you know, can take decisive action. And hopefully we're going to wake up. And I, you know, I I really do believe that this uh, uh, forest school movement and the nature education and nature connection movement is going to be one of the largest pillars of helping people to balance the this world out Uh, yeah i i you know in the future for us as a small business i would love to support people who want to take this leap into working with people outdoors but they do not have a finance the financial freedom to do so i you know that's that's something i aspire to and and something that's important to me because nature connection is actually is a it's a human need Mm, yeah but research shows that the impact that it has on people that have life stresses is greater the potential of of it having a beneficial impact on people who have lots of hardship mm. is great and and I, I i you know that's really that's really powerful and special and and a and a great position if i can if i can in touch more people's lives that um, need it that's what I want to do yeah yeah and I know now you know four years in that that's not going to happen tomorrow and it probably won't happen next year but I know that that's the way that you know my tree is going to grow that's the way I take it 
Yeah, that's what I've seen in just having, I've been, I started teaching my first summer camps in 1989 and I've seen a trajectory of, you know, nature programs in the United States grow, you know, really exponentially it's grown and, and more and more the need is there. There are parents that are willing to kind of pay to do, have them into certain programs. And I believe that you know, if we look at the trajectory, it will eventually get more normalized or something, hopefully. But on the other side of it, I'm a little bit nervous because the teachers, you know, teachers jobs in general, at least in the United States is very low wages for the most part. And, you know, they're having to, they don't have funding for classroom supplies and all of that. So I I really hope that that will level out and work, you know, to be seen as a really important profession that, you know, should get compensated well and have pensions and everything else. So uh, that's, that's a really important aspect that I really want to kind of promote as professionals doing this work to say that, that somehow we'll have to get advocates to lobby on our behalf or somehow to say, hey, this needs to be really equitable and figure out that that path but getting the getting the data of what you're doing 1500 children in a year and getting that that those benefits we're doing the work right now to do that to build that that's what you're doing so you know so that someday three years from now four years from now someone like yourself can make that transition and say hey i'm going to do this rather than stay in a system that they you know doesn't work right yeah, yeah. Well, this is a this has been just fantastic connecting with you and hearing your story about this. This is really to me, it's really inspiring. And I I didn't know if you wanted to share anything, uh, like any links to your programs, or if you have any other things you'd like to share. Uh, we'll definitely have that information in our show notes. But I know if there's anything you want to share now, that'd be great. Yeah, um, my website is www.befreeforestschool.co.uk. Instagram, you can find us on Instagram and, and Facebook. I wanted to share a couple of books that I, I use a lot, my go-tos. So I've been reading a book called Lo- Losing Eden by Lucy Jones, a British author. And she's she brilliantly culminates a lot of research about how beneficial nature is to us, how it's absolutely key to our survival as a as a species that we embrace nature and actually reading her book makes me it kind of brings a lot of confidence in mm. what I'm doing really really valuable so that's Losing Eden by Lucy Jones and then I love uh, my two books by Tracy McIver who's a forest school leader and she's a British author um, and she has two books on games uh, that you can play with young people but what I really love about her books is she also leads big groups like me so her games are really accessible for big groups and she just thinks of all the details about how to manage big groups and the resourcing for big groups and she has whole sections of her books which are resource less which are really good for games up your sleeve if children are cold or restless and you go right I need a game She's got a whole chat on that of like, I've got nothing with me. Let's play a game. And then another British author called Richard Irvine. And he's got several books, but this one's Wild Days, Outdoor Play for Young Adventurers. 
and it's excellent and it's got really great ideas about how to engage young people hands-on natural activities um but he's a forest school leader so he's really understood the ethos of it being choice-based which is really important for forest school it being adaptable optional and there being no right answer so so I'm going to flick to one. He's got a chapter on games and stories about storytelling. So I flick to one activity. So activity here, artist charcoal pencil. Mm-hmm. So these you two how to make a bit of charcoal mm-hmm. um, with step-by-step instructions, beautiful, clear pictures, and then maybe what to do with it. So it says at the end, if you want to, you can make a pencil with your charcoal. So it's really nice. I really love this book because you can kind of take it all the way right? or finish somewhere before the end. And it's still really valuable experience, you know, making a bit of charcoal and the child then going and drawing on some trees or actually a child that's really committed and has the ability to, to have a long focus and wants to have a finished product that looks like a pencil. But there being no right answer, there being yeah. no you know, definite way of doing it. I love this book. Oh, it's that, that sounds really good. I'm, I'm excited to get some of these. We have a, a person here in the United States, uh, Nick Netto, and he wrote a book called uh, The Organic Artist. And it's all about nature art as well. And it's really brilliant. He, it's, he's, he's a wonderful artist already. And he, he has lots of, you know, drawings and things that he's done with all the different types of art, making ink and printing and different things. And what I found was so interesting is that, you know, a lot of times if you come for, if into a nature education program, there's this sort of like element of, oh, do you go in the butch, bushcraft direction or wilderness survival direction? Or are you in a nature awareness and birds and tracking and animal thing? And then, you know, sometimes it's camping or sometimes it's like woodcraft or whatever. But I've always felt that that a lot of the work that we do is also inspiring in that whole creative edge of mm. teaching people about expressing themselves and being creative and having, uh, you know, art and music and, uh, you know, movement and things like that, that could, that's an avenue that I thought, I feel like I'm really excited to see more people exploring that because I think that that's a, another way to get uh, people to see, you know, what can come out of, this experience so that looks that look they all these are really really good resources so thank you so much for sharing those well this has been great thank you so much for being here and being on this program and sharing all their all your knowledge my pleasure i really enjoyed speaking to you thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature you can get access to the bonus episodes my forest educator, nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.